It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on our path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Lodestar URY, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenue streams, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales. Welcome, everybody, to the Revenue Maze today. I'm super excited about our guest today, and he has built a business with over 1 million signups, recipient of the coveted Red Herring Top 100 Europe in 2021, has spent two decades in technology and finance staffing, bless your heart, lived and worked in three continents, co-founder and CEO at Worker.io. Welcome, Anil Chendel. Thanks, Valerie. I tell you what, when people do an introduction, it always makes me a little bit curious, you know, how, how big is the name behind the brand and the person? <laughs> but no, thank you. It's a very humbling introduction. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. And it's uh, great to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much. But we always start the show exactly the same all the time. All right. So we have to start it with what is one thing that you can tell the audience that will help them get out of the revenue maze? You know what? It was a great question. Um, always a difficult one when you're trying to just succinctly put something together. Um, and, I, and I'm taking this from our recent I guess, learnings and where we are in our business at the moment. And it's as simple as keep it simple. <laughs> and there's a, a very simple phraseology, you know, that comes actually from the American army, which is the KISS principle, yes. which is keep it stupid, simple, or as they say, keep it simple, stupid, but <laughs> keep it simple you know, is really what it's all about. I think we overcomplicate this too often. And uh, as soon as you start looking at it in a very simplistic form, you'll find the jigsaw pieces do actually start connecting together and paint this picture quite well. Um, but we all get lost in that maze of how can we, when can we, how do we, and so on. So keep it simple. Oh, you know, and I, I laugh because we, we do say that and then we overcomplicate it, right? <laughs> it's one of those things that it's like, okay, if you're going to keep it simple and I, you know, with what you're doing right now with worker and all of that kind of stuff, you could really overcomplicate some of the things that are going, going on out there. And mm. I personally struggle with that, you know, all the time. It's like, I have to write step-by-step step and then I'm like, oh, you know, all these workflows, all these things. And then I have to dial it back afterwards. And so I take it completely from the complex, set it aside and just go, okay, what do you remember? One, two, three. How do you do this? Give us some examples. Help us out here. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a, a, any sort of magic potion or you know, pill to take to actually uh, make this work. And as entrepreneurs and you know, as startups, you know, we, I guess we all try different things. And sometimes by luck, sometimes by process, you know, sometimes just by opportunity, something will click. And I think often... We, we, we complicate it because we, we believe that there's actually a lot more to do than just a very sim simple thing like taking the idea, you know, moving that idea into, I guess, some sort of planning, you know, so 
ideate and then plan, you know, uh -huh. how you're going to take that uh, forward, launch whatever that little idea is, and then just monitor it and measure it. And you, you'll, you'll know what works. And if it doesn't work, you tweak it and you go back and do the same. And it's just reiterating that. But often we start off with the idea. And as we're going through those steps, we overcomplicate them. You know, we start adding new new processes or sub projects into it or plans into it. And we try to then get to the same goal. And that's where often I think things fall apart. So we instinctly usually know what the steps are. <laughs> but I think we, we overthink it and then you overcomplicate it and then it becomes very complex. And that's where you then have challenges even to go back. And as you said, to go through the workflow and understand what it is that really works. And hands up, you know, we, we, we've done it at Worker, you know, when we first um, launched, you know, uh, back, back in 2018 and we were just ideating the, the, the concept of Worker. We did it then, wow. you know, we, we started off with a very simple concept, which was to keep um, people connected and working together from anywhere. And then we started thinking about, um, you know, how do I put virtual reality goggles on? You know, how do I get into the metaverse and so on and so forth? But, you know, often it's stay with the simple idea of what you set out to do, because translating that into a revenue strategy is easier than yeah. all the new things that are happening. But you get lost, you know, sometimes you get carried away in doing something which everybody else is doing, or I want to be in that space rather than focusing on what you actually started your journey with. So hence why I say, you know, it's, it's keep it simple because we've been through this ourselves, And it's only recently after this um, fantastic number of uh, a million signups that we managed to <laughs> yeah. Yeah, attract to the business. It's a great number, don't get me wrong, but yeah, there's a lot of noise in there and there's a lot of cleansing that you have to do to actually really get down to the, the customers that count, you know, the customers that are going to pay and ultimately the ones that you know you can replicate and target again, you know, with um, in, in other markets. So it's bringing it back to basics, you know, and then, then taking that idea forward again. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I, I completely struggle with that. And so it's a great reminder um, because sometimes we whittle away even at our time because we spend so much time on it. And I, I laugh a little bit. You have, an, you have a picture of Einstein behind you, which I love Einstein quotes. <laughs> and uh, people know, you know, other guests know that this is not scripted, right? We, we don't, we kind of come up with what we're going to talk about, period. And, you know, I, and I probably can't quote it right, you know, but I, I love the Einstein quote where he's like, if you had a problem and it's summarizing, you know, I would spend, you know, 50 something minutes on the right question. You know, what, it, what are we really solving for? And then about five minutes solving it, you know, and it, and it kind of goes around with that because sometimes people just can't identify what is the simple the simple problem, right? Then you can quickly go one, two, three. And um, gosh, in the sales world, because I'm a fractional chief revenue officer, right? In the sales world, we tend, you know, with all the AI and all the all the things that you've got to program and RevOps has almost become mm -hmm. its animal in and of itself, right? And so we run into that all the time. And Another guest was talking about just product market fit. Boy, we can overcomplicate that too, can't we? <laughs> 
So yeah, you're, 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 you're right. I think, um, yeah, it, it, if when you when you've come from a couple of decades of um, working, you know, in I would say the non-technical uh, way of building sales funnels, it does really paint a really good perspective in terms of where we are now because the the buyer today is simple but complex, and I and I, <laughs> and I say that you know in in sort of almost a contradictory manner, but it, it's it's simple because they're still a buyer, and as long as you provide you know them with the right product or service you know they they will obviously buy it's complex because the buyer today doesn't just take your word for it yep. the buyer has the ability today to actually do many searches across the internet look at testimonials look at reviews compare you um, look on you know rating sites in terms of what others have actually benefited from your product so they can do quite a lot of research Whereas um, if you just were face-to-face -face with that buyer without any internet or any technology, the likelihood is the, the idea and the product or the service that you're selling, you could probably get them to buy into that fairly easily. So it becomes complex because you've got this noise of data and information and the modern buyer has a lot more of this information to hand. So selling to that modern buyer does become a little bit harder. And we have to just make sure that we take that that sale, you know, to them in a simplistic form, so they know what they're getting, right? So that that's the challenge. But there's always going to be a bit of bias if they've done some research or they're doing research post your conversation. So the idea is, how do you get to that point, you know, fairly quickly, and then get them to sort of take it on? And there's, as I said, there's no magic, you know, magic to this, and there's no science to it. You sometimes it works quicker, sometimes it's, it's slower, but you've got to keep on going towards that simple step of what's the problem. You know, that you're trying to solve mm -hmm. and then you're gathering information from that person to ensure that your problem is actually solved uh, their problem is being solved by your solution or your service or product but often what we're doing is we're selling like a widget or we're selling like a, a, a product rather than actually solving their problem so if you focus on solving their problem they are more likely to want to actually buy your your product or your service yeah and one of my mentors says people buy for their reasons. And that's the complicated part is understanding the problem or identifying the problem. You know, they're not, mm. they're not going to buy for your reasons. And so, and, and uh, I don't know, you're probably familiar with the challenger methodology, but Matt Dixon came out with the New York times bestseller it's coming out in another sort of, I think it's a month from now, but it talks about the, the challenges with the stall in people buying for everything that you're talking about, right? We've got to simplify it for them, but unpeeling away the layers of the onion of the psychology or whatever you want to call it behind how they buy, right? And uh, training a bunch of sales team members a lot of times you know, one will say, well, I buy for price. And another one will say, I buy for this, but that's not the way that their customers buy. That's just their opinion of it because yeah. of their emotional aspect with buying something, you know, and 
So yeah, you've you've gotten it down very simplistic. Yeah, very simplistic. I, 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 I wouldn't say yeah. I wouldn't say we got it down simplistically, but you know, definitely the the ideology, you know, very much on where we are as in, in worker right now, is uh -huh. where we've been very fortunate through um, the pandemic. You know, in some ways, we've been very fortunate as a business because our solution was very specifically tied to enabling people to work from home. Um, actually, we'll work from anywhere was the anywhere. original concept, um, but because everybody was stuck at home and they they needed a way of connecting and not feeling isolated and wanted to still feel like they're part of the team, having their water cooler moments and all that type of stuff, you know, we were ideally positioned to, yeah. to grow very fast and we had a double-edged sword, you know, we were not ready with product, we were still going from a prototype into the MVP stage as the <laughs> pandemic emerged. Yeah. But we said, look, it's great. You know, that it, we can take this opportunity and we can either embrace it or we can, you know, sort of shy away from it and say, we're, we're going to hide away and not do anything with it. And we did exactly that. We embraced it and said, we'll keep it free. We'll allow anybody and everybody to sign up to it. It gives us an advantage. We learned from the customers, you know, to, to know what, what, where this product needed to go. Um, but we signed up so many people and we, we signed up across a hundred countries. And then we had language awesome. challenges that we had to also address, you know, so it's great. It's a great problem to have, but you, 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 yeah. you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, there's, there's a lot of parts of um, the sales cycle, but ultimately it comes down to, you know, selling a solution for a problem. And if you can do that, then it's, does your problem, does your solution then tick the boxes for that particular problem, or is it just a, a fix of a problem in general? Mm -hmm. Now, this is often where we get a little bit lost, I think, and, and certainly from our experience, we've um, we had a solution which we first went to a very particular audience, mm -hmm. which was the staffing and recruitment industry, only because myself and my, my co-founder Tim, we had come from that industry, so we had very good connects in that industry. So we went to sell the product to them. We realized very quickly, actually, that industry doesn't really want this as a solution. They're, they're more inclined to have people in physical offices you know, as teams of salespeople working together to sell to their customers. <laughs> and as time went on, industries um, started coming left, right and center. Yeah. And we got a lot of it, a little bit lost with that as well, because we were just almost going like that with the funnel the other way around, you know, the funnel was getting bigger and bigger and bigger at the top. Yeah. And what we really needed to focus on is where's the sweet spot, you know, which is that customer, what is that ideal, ideal persona or customer that would want to buy this particular solution for their problem. Yeah. And that's where it took us a bit more time. I don't, I don't think we're fully there yet, you know, and I don't yeah. think we we've got it, but we, we certainly are finding a very niche now. So I think if you niche, it's easier to go out and target that audience and then obviously um, get them to buy because you're very providing a very targeted solution to, yeah. to, to that audience as well. So solutioning rather than product selling, I think is a very key part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great what you're, what you're saying. I, you know, the work from anywhere crew, I, I kind of follow them as well because um, gosh, back in 2004, we were work from anywhere. <laughs> we, we did, you know, and it was very difficult back then. Right. Mm. Um, pre iPhone internet spotty at best, you know, some of those things we were living in the Cayman islands and, um, it was, 
interesting with little kids and you know they've got these great groups for work from anywhere now for helping you know with homeschooling or you know you could be you could literally be on a boat for a couple for a week with your kids now right and work (laughs) from anywhere and one of the biggest challenges was feeling isolated you know even though we were actually Mm. physically working there we were isolated away from family, friends, things like that, because, you know, you paid a million dollars just to make a phone call back then. Right. And and a lot of people are like, well, that they, they don't experience that. Right. But, Mm. you know, we had Cuban refugees pull up to our dock and a bunch of things while we were living there and exciting things. But I do feel like the mental health portion of what you guys are doing is very important for Hmm. this generation, but also the globalization is is making it so people will work from anywhere. Sales has been working from anywhere on an airplane forever, right? But they didn't have the ability to do what you're talking about Hmm. at Worker. And... I love that. That's, you know, that's it, it, it creates less isolation for sure. Mm -hmm. Collaboration, all of those things. Um, You know, a lot of people want those remote jobs now, just period. Anyway, COVID, yes, it probably brought it and helped Mm -hmm. it, but you know, you save tons of money on fuel, carbon footprints that everybody's talking about, you know, and if you can, you can, you know, that's, that's the good part about it. So I love that you guys took that opportunity to help that entire workforce. How did you, even though COVID spawned it, people want to know, how did you get from Oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, how did you conceptualize worker? Why, what brought you to this point? I'm, I'm just curious. I'm going to keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, look, in, 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 in reality, we didn't really go out to conceptualize it in any particular way. You know, it, it was a problem that we had in another business. So uh, myself and Tim, we co-founded a remote first staffing and recruitment business back in 2013. Uh, 15 now and we started that you know with the 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 mindset of we know talent is very global today we know we tend to lose great people because once they reach a certain success you know in their life they don't particularly want to be traveling in and out of central city locations and we realized we could still bring them back into a very uh, good business and make them successful and and have a successful business with people working from anywhere. And that's how we started off in 2015 in a a remote first recruitment business. Now, bear in mind that myself and Tim coming back, you know, coming from to to myself, two decades, I'm a Tim, three decades. We've come from building um, businesses with offices in the most expensive locations so you know central london you know be be in new york city be in dubai so we've come from building businesses in the most expensive central business districts around the world yeah now there's a huge cost associated to that and we transitioned from that to saying well we want to be remote first and people can work from anywhere you know they can sit at home they can be in a cafe they can go on holiday be doing do a holiday and then work at the same time so that's where where we started as a business and Two years into the business, we realized uh, 
as much as we had grown and we were starting to build a successful staffing and recruitment business, we felt there was an element of um, loneliness and feeling disconnected and not being able to do the things that we were so used to in a physical office. Yeah, just simply having a catch up in the morning when somebody comes in. Oh, did you watch the, the soccer last night? Or, you know, did you uh, watch that particular show, you know, on TV? You know, what do you think about it? Or talk about just some gossip that you've heard that's going on in, in the business, right? And these things, you know, we, we, we underestimate how powerful they are for our businesses because that's what instills the culture in yeah. a business. It's the people having those non-business conversations as well as those business element conversations that actually instills those values and those beliefs and the culture of the business so we were missing that and we thought well we can't suddenly move from a remote first model to take everybody into the office mm -hmm. so why don't we see if we can find a solution off the shelf and that's how the journey started we started looking for solutions off the shelf we couldn't find anything apart from traditional video conferencing and video meeting applications and then Tim and I sort of looked at each other and said, look, we both come from an IT background. We're, we're both coders, you know, by <laughs> acad academia, but maybe we could see if we could build something. So we went looking to find a software development company. Lo and behold, we, we drew a concept on the back of a piece of paper and we sort of held it up to this software development company and said, we want to replicate something like that. And all it was, was, you know, 10 rooms on a screen uh -huh. where we could actually see who's in that room on yeah. screen and we could then move between those rooms on screen and then we could have that feeling of actually knowing where people are as well as being able to engage with them very instantly so that's where the concept really started uh, back in 20, 2017 into 2018 and then when we had built this very i, I use this phrase lego looking um app application for our own internal use we switched it on and everyone suddenly felt like they were connected and they knew each other. And, you know, we were sitting there and working away. In fact, we had a Christmas party and this is a really interesting story. So okay. we had a Christmas party and obviously we all got together. We don't do that remotely. You know, we get together <laughs> and we got everybody together in a, in a central location. And the one thing we realized as much as we knew them as individuals in the business and we, their characters were exactly what we anticipated. However, the only thing that we didn't realize was how tall or short they were, because this is all you ever see on a video meeting. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that, that just a little bit of an interesting fact there. But from there onwards, um, once we had switched it on in our business, we had clients and candidates coming in to have meetings with us and people loved it. And that just naturally progressed on to us to say, I think we've got an opportunity to really take something to the masses and help them because this has helped us in such a fantastic way here and that's how the concept of worker started in 2018 where we decided we've got a product you know we've, we've conceptualized it we've got a prototype let's see if we can take it you know to the marketplace and actually turn it into a commercially viable uh, product and you know it's, it's taken us time you know it's taken us nearly three years to get to having a product which is now ready to launch into the marketplace but we've been very fortunate along that journey to have customers as well, you know, and some of them were paying customers, even though we were still in a uh, MVP stage. And it's this year where I guess, I guess the real key thing, which we're discussing here is about building revenue and sales. Mm -hmm. It's only this year where we really started analyzing very clearly, you know, how we're going to go to market and what's going to be the approach, but <laughs> keeping it simple again, you know, and yeah. it, this, this changes and it evolves over time. 
Um, but that that's where we are now. And it's been a fantastic journey. You know, we've we've loved every second of it and I'd do it again in a heartbeat, even though it's been quite, quite painful at times. You know, do it, do it again any any day of the week. Yeah, no, I I love that. I love that journey. Um, and I love that it hit almost at the time of the perfect storm, right? You know, it's like who had that crystal ball that says, oh my gosh, <laughs> now because I remember when I was working heavy equipment manufacturing, right? And I remember when COVID sort of hit, we were at ConExpo and ConExpo, you may not know what that is, but it's a massive show in Las Vegas, right? And Bauma is out of Germany and it's like twice the size of ConExpo, but you know, you have like 300,000 people attend and just, you know, you got cat, you know, spending like $3 million just on their booth alone, you know? And, um, so you have, you just have, um, this interesting thing and they shut down the day, the, the last day of, um, Con Expo, they shut down because of COVID and in manufacturing, it's, it's really, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, what do we do? We have all these workers, Mm. we have all this stuff. How do they, and how do they actually adjust to that? And and it was funny because we we had teams and they were a Microsoft shop and all that kind of stuff. So it was just like, well, the sales teams and the marketing and service, they were easy. You just flipped a switch, right? And yeah. um, you couldn't have done that years ago. You, you know, like we talked about. Absolutely. Still, I remember doing go-to meetings and trying to install software <laughs> remotely and network it to 15 different computers through spotty at best back. So we're giving 20- our ages away now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right, right, right. And um, so you just couldn't have known that that would have been something that just, yeah. it's like the perfect storm because then all of the, the mental health and around that. So mm. you, you understand the social aspect of it and you know, we've been talking business the whole time, but people want to hear more about what is Anil? What does he do in his off time? What's his passion wow. <laughs> that he does in his off time when he's not sort of coding on a napkin or something? You know, that kind of thing. What, what, what do you love to do? You, 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 know, you, you know, I think I've been um, one very fortunate in being able to live and work in you know three three continents around the world, and more most recently it was India. Um, yeah. India has always been very close. I'm an Indian origin person. Uh, my parents, you know, came from northern India, and going having the ability to go and live and work in India really gave me a a fantastic perspective, not just purely from a work as, uh, work angle, but also from a personal social. Um, almost um, a family, you know, uh, angle. And it was fantastic for the kids as well. But just to sort of take it back to what you mentioned, I, I've been fortunate that I've, I've seen quite a few different things and I've been involved in And one fun fact, I guess, for you right now, <laughs> and a lot of people won't know this. And uh, even if you did, did, read, did some research, it'd probably be hard to find. Um, when, when I was going through university, you know, I, I, as much as I was a techie, I, I had a huge passion for music and like we all do, but yeah. my passion for music went a lot further than that. I, um, I, I was a DJ for a long time. I had my own oh. uh, mobile you know, sound show and we used to go and do parties and 
you know, weddings and you name them. Uh-huh. And from there, we led on to um, actually doing a crossover music uh, video with between my my sort of uh, my 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 background and which is Punjabi, which is called Bhangra. Uh-huh. and um, house music, which is what I was pretty much you know, sort of brought up with, you know, whilst I was going through u- uh, mu- uh, through university. And I did this crossover track called um, House Bhangra. Oh. And that, believe it or not, it got ranked in the UK in, there's a magazine that's called The Black Echoes. So oh. The Black Echoes used to do all the independent music that was coming out in the UK at that time. Uh-huh. We got into the top 40. Oh, wow. <laughs> And we got onto TV, you know, so we were, we were on TV. There's a very well-known um, newspaper in the UK called the Evening Standard. We had a review in the Evening Standard. In fact, we even got, on, we even got ranked on Billboard, which oh. is the Billboard magazine. So that's a fun fact for you. But it was, you know, one of those, it was something we just did out of fun and we really enjoyed it. But, you know, music is very close to my heart. Um, it is something I'd love to get back into at some point. Yeah. Um, so that's just a little bit of uh, maybe personal background for yourself. But what makes me tick, you know, otherwise, you know, I, I, I like working out. We've got a, a cockapoo dog. So we go for dog walks. You know, we we're a first dog owner. You know, we never, never had a dog before this this particular oh. dog. Um, <laughs> I love cooking. Wow. You know, so um, I, I, I cook Indian food as well as, um, you know, Italian and some other uh, foods mm-hmm. as well. But Indian food is really what I like cooking. So I love cooking as well. Um, but these days I don't get a lot of time, you know, to yeah. much. You know, and a lot of time is just being focused into what we're doing because we've got a really big task ahead of us. So it's, it's all hands to the pumps, but you do have to take time out. And the, the, the great thing about worker and working in this way has allowed us to keep that balance, you know, and often we, we talk about work-life balance, it's work-life integration, you know, really more than balance. And that's something that this way of working has definitely allowed me to do. So that's a bit about me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that. I, when I was over a youth group years ago and one of, I call him, I call her, well, I just love her dearly. And she married someone from India. And I remember <clears throat> it was in the United States, but it was the best wedding I've ever been to because it was like 400 people, <laughs> And it was this sit down and I, I was a singer. So I sang at her American portion of the wedding. Right. So she had all the henna and everything else. And, and we were, uh, my husband and I were sitting there and we're, and it was, we're all dressed to the nines because everybody dressed yeah. to the nines. Right. And, <laughs> and so we're all kind of sitting there and they have this food and then just this, they started to welcome the bride and the groom and it was just this uproar of music and people just jumped up and started dancing and it was like 400 people and my husband doesn't even love to dance you know and, and it was just like you couldn't you couldn't contain it because it was so much fun oh my gosh that is that was the funnest wedding I have ever been to and the music was amazing and everybody did this just this yeah it was just amazing to have yeah, we, 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 we do everything big. Yeah. It's yeah, like a it's... carnival, you know, there's fireworks, there's a band coming along yeah. with the procession <laughs> and everything happens. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of, well, 
anyway, I just loved it. And you just brought up such a great memory with it. So anyways, I love what you're doing with Worker. I know the audience would really like to know how, how can they get a hold of you? Neil, what, hey, what's look, the best I think, way? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, always, I mean, I'm across all the diff different social media channels, but the best way is uh, go and check me out on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, because my first name is spelt with two N's, um, so Anil is spent with two ends rather than one end. Uh -huh. It's easier to find. Otherwise, you'll get lost in all the Anils that are on uh, LinkedIn. But yeah, ch check us out. We're on uh, LinkedIn and the company Worker and it's W-U-R-K-R. Um, you can find us there as well. So have a look. Yeah, I'd love to catch up and chat with anybody who's interested in us or the journey we've been on. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks everybody who has listened to the Revenue Maze. We're very grateful for the, the audience and we are super grateful for Neil sharing his story, his company. I'm so excited for the future of work from anywhere, especially with things like Worker. And um, again, thank you so much, Neil. Thank you, Valerie. It's been really, really good. Um, I, I've enjoyed this and it's allowed me to sort of just think back in some of the things that we did in the early days. So thanks again for the opportunity. Great speaking to you. And um, I hope a lot of people get some uh, good things out of this podcast. Um, me too. Thanks again, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining another great episode. For show notes, links, and resources, visit revenuemaze.com. And never forget, you are why.